0: For sure, God calls men and women to follow him and to be used by him. God uses individuals. But God also doesn't leave us alone in that. God puts teams together to help us be used by him in the most effective way. And there's several reasons why we need teams around us, but God uses people that he brings together in teams. As I was putting this study together, I thought about the thirty-six. this October will be 37 years that we've been at church and thought about all of the different teams that we've had over the years and the way that they have changed and how blessed I've been, we've been to have people in the team at Calvary Tucson doing the work that God has called us to do. And I appreciate all of you guys that are working alongside of us and all that God is doing in this chapter we see paul talking about two of the people that are on the team and he talks about their qualities as part of this team so the title of our message today is team building god's way and we are in a series in the book of philippians called authentic joy paul is in chains and yet in this book he talks about his own joy at least 14 times so that his joy has nothing to do with circumstances as Christians there is a joy that doesn't connect with circumstances it's the joy of Jesus he said I told tell you these things that your joy may be full and that my joy may remain in you and we want to have that joy today we're looking at two more examples in Philippians chapter 2 you remember in the first part of this book, in the first four verses, there were three things that Paul told us not to do. There were three commands that were all in the negative. He said, number one, don't do anything through selfish ambition, which means that you would not do anything in order to draw attention to yourself, in order to, in, for your own pers- for motives, for your own personal desires. Uh, instead, Jesus said, when you do your good works, do them in such a way that when people see your good works, they glorify your Father who is in heaven. Then he said, don't do anything out of conceit or out of pride. And we know this. We know that we're not supposed to be prideful. We're not supposed to think more of ourselves than we ought to. We are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And when we are prideful, he humbles us. So to effectively do the work God called us to do, we need to make sure we don't do it out of pride. And then it says, and don't own. And finally, the third thing was not only look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. That we are to put other people's interests even above our own interests. And then he gave us two examples. The first example was Jesus, and I want to read that to you. That's in verses 5 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. Jesus did all these three, did nothing for selfish ambition, did nothing out of pride, and put, put everybody's interest above his own interest when he went to the cross, even the death, uh, even the death on a cross. And so, in... He, uh, in Philippians 2 6 through 10 uh, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God Meaning he was God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and bear, and being found in the appearance of man He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross therefore God has highly exalted him And given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father so the first thing he does is make himself lower than angels by becoming human the second thing he does is take the role of a servant while he's here he's not he could be a human and be a king but he took the role of a servant And the third thing that he did was humble himself to the point of dying even on the cross in order to put other people's interests above his own. The second example that Paul uses is his own example. And this is in verses 17 and 19. We covered them last Wednesday night. He says this. uh, He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on a sacrifice of the service of your faith, I am glad... Here Paul talks about his rejoicing. And rejoicing with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. He says, I am being poured out like a drink offering. His life is almost done. I think he realizes that. He's for prison. He's in, he's in chains for two years. And then he'll stand before Nero. He'll be released or re-imprisoned. We're not quite sure. And then he'll stand before Nero again where he will be sentenced to death. And they will take his head from him at Rome. He knows that his life is a sacrifice, and he lives his life as that sacrifice. And then we have in um, uh, Timothy, in verses 19 through 24, he's going to use him as an example of someone who doesn't have selfish ambition, doesn't do anything with pride, and who puts other people's interests above his own. And then Epaphroditus, which you may have never heard that name before. If you're looking for a unique name, For a guy, Epaphroditus, we'll talk about what his name meant uh, here in just a couple of minutes. Um, Let's take a look, first of all, at a few verses that talk to us about teams. Because Timothy and Epaphroditus are part of the team that God uses at the end of Paul's life. When I think of Paul being used and the men around him, I think, first of all, of Barnabas. Probably because Barnabas was the one that spurred him into ministry. He literally went Saul hunting. He needed someone to help him at Antioch. And he went looking for Saul, found him. And they began to do a work there at the church in, in, in Antioch. And it's where they were first called Christians. From there, I think of Silas. Barnabas went on the first missionary journey. Silas on the second missionary journey with him. They picked up Timothy along the way. They picked up Luke along the way. And there were several other men that Paul talks about that God used in that team. When we think of the work of Paul, we often think of it as being an isolated thing, but it's not. And never is the work of God an isolated thing. God puts people around us for a reason. Here's a few of the reasons the Bible says that God puts people around us, but I'd like to say that God uses teams to do what he does. Uh, First of all, Ecclesiastes 4 9 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor one person can go out and do a certain amount but two people together can do more than two people separately working separately it goes on to say in proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it says as iron sharpens iron so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend so in their day they would use metal to, to hit against metal to be able to sharpen something and so God is saying that we work together so that iron sharpens iron. And sometimes that's not necessarily fun, right? Sometimes it might be someone needs to challenge you or of them might need to talk to you about something you're doing in ministry that may not need to be done. Iron sharpens iron. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 tells us this. Each one of you has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If God has filled you with the Spirit, and God has given you a gift that he's come upon you, and given you a gift of the Spirit, then you want to be good stewards with the gift that God's given you. And we are to use that together. In Ephesians 4.12, we're told that God has given gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. That's what we want to do for him. And in Hebrews ten twenty four, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's the goal as we interact with one another for love and good works for him. And 1 Corinthians 12, 14 and 15 tell us, for, if, uh, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And so in that whole passage, he talks about how each one of us plays a different role. And just because we're not one part of the body doesn't mean we're not another part of the body and that God raises up people to be used that way. So Paul now turns his attention to Timothy because he wants to send Timothy to them. He's about to stand before Nero. In Timothy, in the book, the letter that he writes to Timothy, he tells Timothy, the first time that I stood before Nero, no one stood with me there was no one with him and so i take it from that that he sends timothy to philippi he wants them to know how paul's doing and he wants to send them there listen to what he says he says but i trust the lord jesus to send timothy to you shortly now at this point paul's not 100 percent committed right i trust the lord jesus to send timothy to you paul had told the corinthians when he was in ephesus that he was going to visit them and wasn't able to do that they had gotten upset at him because he said he was going to go and then wasn't able to do it they should have known not everything's in your control you could try to do something but not everything's in your control and there were certain things that happened that didn't allow paul to go and visit them so a few years later paul's very careful if god lets me i'm going to send timothy to you which is not a bad thing right it's like saying the lord wills the bible says that if you say, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, that that's presumptuous, that's sin. But if you say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do that, you're just surrendering to God's providence. If God wants this for me, then I want it. And he's kind of doing the same thing here. I trust the Lord Jesus that I'll be able to send Timothy to you shortly. That I also may be encouraged when I know of your state. The idea is that Timothy goes to Philippi, Here's of what's happening there. They're under intense persecution. Some of them have been killed. Some of them have been severely injured. And Paul wants to know. They're worried about him in prison. He's worried about them in Philippi. He wants to send Timothy to talk to them. And he wants Timothy to bring back the news to him. It's about, in in their day, walking, it's about an eight-day trip to get from where he's at in Rome to Philippi. So he's got a ways to go to get there and a ways to go to get back. And he says this about Timothy, for I have no one who is like-minded. And to me, that is a sad statement to make at the end of his ministry. Now, Timothy is like-minded. They have a kindred spirit. And there's something about when, when people work together and they have that same kindred spirit, they have the same heart for ministry. Sometimes you minister with someone and they see things differently and they just don't seem to be like-minded. And it's not that you can't do things together, but when there's a kindred spirit in ministry, it becomes extremely powerful. And I think that that's one of the main things that causes us to settle in a church. We settle in a church because we sit down and we hear things and we see things and we say, I'm like-minded. I have a kindred spirit to these who are here and God brings us together to do the work that God wants us to do. He says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for my state. What a tragic thing for Paul at the end of his ministry. He certainly had it early on. He had, as I said, Barnabas and Silas and, and uh, 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 Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. There's so many people that God brought around him. But at this point, he doesn't have anybody who was like-minded except for Timothy. And then he said... For all seek their own way. And what a sad thing after so many years of ministry for people to begin to do things out of selfish ambition. They begin to seek their own way. That That should never be our desire in ministry. As we work together, as we figure out places to be involved here at the church that we would know it's not about us. It's about Christ letting him be lifted up. He goes on to say, Not the things which are of Christ. Everybody's gone their own way. They aren't seeking the things that are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character. He now lifts Timothy up and he tells us the qualifications and what he sees in his ability to work with him. That he has proven character. Proven character is, there's only one way to have proven character. That's to do it. The Bible says, don't despise the days of small beginnings. I believe that God oftentimes has small beginnings, because he's proving character. And sometimes character can outpace, or success can outpace character. That can be a bad thing. You, can, you want to have proven character. And, and Timothy had it. He had been with them. He was like-minded. He had proven character. He goes on to say that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. As far as we know, Paul didn't have any children and and Timothy became like a son to him and they worked together in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him to you at once as soon as I know how it goes with me, but I trust the Lord that I myself shall also come to you shortly. So now he says, I want to send him to you and I want to send him to you quickly, but I want to know how things are going to go with me. Now, I don't know exactly what that means and how that was all dealt out because later on he tells Timothy... The first time I stood in front of, uh, in front of him at my first trial, no one stood with me. And so Timothy's not there for the first one. And then he says to them the same thing he said about Timothy, but I trust the Lord that I myself shall also come to you shortly. This we do not know. We don't know. Some believe that Paul was released, was stood in front of Nero. He was acquitted. Nero released him. He was able to go into the area and minister. And then he was rearrested, retried and sentenced to death by Nero. Um, Others believe that he was put back into prison, which probably seems to fit the the information that we have a little bit better. And then he was brought a second time in front of Nero and that's when they convicted him and and beheaded him. Now he speaks of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, we know, is a Gentile. We assume that he's from Philippi. Epaphroditus, in his name, is, is Aphroditus, so his parents, and Aphroditus is Venus in, um, in, in Roman, under the Roman gods. And so they named Epaphroditus after one of their gods. But Epaphroditus had found Christ and had come to Christ, probably through the preaching of Paul. And we think that he was from Philippi. And in verse 25, he says, Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, Fellow worker and fellow soldier. These are three great things that he says about him. Number one, if we're going to work together with and and do it efficiently for the gospel of Christ, we have to be like Paul and Timothy. We've got to be like minded. We've got to have that proven character. But also, we need to have a sense of being brothers in Christ. That there is a unity within the body of Christ. I don't necessarily believe that God doesn't work if there's not unity. I don't know that we see that biblically. People, people think that there's power in numbers when it comes to God doing great things. And if everybody, if all Christians could get on the same page, nothing could stop us. I don't know. I see God calling Moses and calling Abraham and calling David. David had his mighty men. David had Joab. David had his priest. There was a team that was around him, but God called him. There wasn't this, there's, there's never this sense in the Bible that if you guys could just be unified, we could do some great things. I don't know that that's the case. However, when we're working together, to know that someone loves you like a brother is incredibly powerful. And I have been so blessed over the years in ministry to have many people that have come through, many people that are still here today that are like a brother, that have that sense of that fellowship to one another. He calls him, he calls him a brother and a fellow worker. And this is also important as well, that we're working together for the same cause. If we are, we go back to the beginning of the, of, of the, the chapter, if we're doing things out of selfish ambition, if we're doing it out of pride, if we're looking out for our own interests and not for the interests of other people, then that's really hard to work with a person like that. But when someone is sacrificial, when someone gives of themselves, then you can work alongside of them to do the best work for christ that you could possibly do so if you want to be the best worker on a team whatever team god puts together then you want to be a good worker for christ a fellow brother a good worker and then he calls him a fellow fellow soldier this is that there's a battle taking place and it reminds us that there is a spiritual war going on the bible tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and a spiritual host in heavenly places. That's kind of scary. These are demonic spirits that he's talking about. And principalities are high-ranking demonic spirits. We see them in Daniel, a few other places. We see the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. We see that Michael is called the great prince over Israel. Michael is the angel over the nation of Israel, according to Daniel chapter 12. And so there's these demonic forces that have this high ranking and we're fighting against them. But the Bible clearly teaches us that we have strength and victory over them. Jesus made an open spectacle of them when he died on the cross. We are given power over serpents and scorpions, over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Put on your armor and then stand and pray, it says, that we might be able to stand together. That doesn't mean the enemy's not gonna attack. It doesn't mean that there's not gonna be battles. And it doesn't mean that the enemy might not win a battle. But it does mean that we are fellow soldiers together. We know the outcome. Warren Wearsby said, We are fighting from victory. We are not fighting for victory. So whatever may happen in the short term may be difficult and hard to face but as good soldiers they face hardships right soldiers go through hardships they know there's going to be battles that are lost and he is a fellow soldier this is pretty good praise for him but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need now we learned something about epaphroditus we learned that he was living in philippi we think he was from philippi don't know for sure but we we learn he's from philippi and that he brought an offering to Paul while Paul was in chains. The, the church at Philippi is the only church at this point in his life. Again, we're at the end of Paul's ministry. It's the only church that shared in his needs at that point. The rest had abandoned him. And when Paul talks about standing in front of Nero and no one standing with him, you realize you have an entire Roman church that no one comes to stand with Paul. Paul. And so the church of Philippi takes a special place in Paul's heart. Because at this time in his life, when he was in need, they showed up and they helped him. And they helped him financially. And in, in Philippians 4 18, Epaphroditus is mentioned again. And here's what it says about him there Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. So he's still in, in prison, but he's telling them his state now I have all, I'm full, I abound having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So now we know why Epaphroditus was even there. He brought a gift from the, the Philippians to Rome to bring to Paul, and Paul received it. However, something happened. Verse 26. Since he is longing for you all, Epaphroditus is longing to go back home and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. And indeed, he was sick almost unto death. So they hear that Epaphroditus brings this message to him, but in the trip he gets sick, and he's sick almost unto death. Now, this is kind of a mind-boggling thing when you think about it, because Paul has been used to heal people. And now he's got a man visiting him in prison, and for whatever reason, Paul doesn't heal him. This gift of healing doesn't seem to, and he's an apostle and he has the gift of healing. It doesn't seem to be something that is always available and always there. I'll give you another example. Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your stomach. Why? Because when you're drinking water that's got bacteria in it, you're getting upset upset stomach, the alcohol in the wine would kill the bacteria that's in the water. Why couldn't Paul just say in his letter, I've prayed for you, Timothy, you're going to be better now because I have the gift of healing. How about Paul himself? Paul talks about an infirmity. We get our word infirmary from the word in the Greek he uses for infirmity that he had a a, a thorn sent from Satan to buffet him that he asked God to remove, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul told the Galatians, you guys would have given me your own eyes if you could have. So Paul had some physical problem, wasn't able to heal. Paul had raised people from the dead. Paul had sent handkerchiefs. He was working as a tent maker. He would take his handkerchiefs. He wouldn't sell them for $149.99 like some pastors have done in the past. Some television evangelists have done in the past. And a friend of mine who got a I've got a, uh, a, uh, a handkerchief with, a, with an evangelist print on it. And he said to me, I, n- I never took so much pleasure as blowing my nose in his hand as when I blew my nose in that handkerchief. Part, part of the problem here is just that they're selling it. That's part of, that's the problem. Paul would take them and send them to people as a point of faith. He couldn't go, but he would send it to people and people would be healed. But a Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus isn't healed. And so you Hear people say, God wants you well. The largest church in America is a a prosperity church. And they're growing. It's part of the last days. The Bible says, in the last days, men will heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And that tickling your ears is a bad thing, not a good thing. I was watching a, Q, a Q&A years ago at a pastor's conference where there were several different pastors that were there and Greg Laurie was there. And while they were doing the Q&A, they asked one of the pastors on stage who, for this purpose, will remain nameless. Um, they asked him about his ministry. And he said, well, you know what? I just love that I'm able to tickle people's ears because God said in the last days, they're going to heap up teachers who will tickle their ears. And Greg's, like Greg Laurie, like his head was on, a, just snapped like a rubber band pulled it. He's just like, What? Because it was a complete misreading of that passage. God doesn't want us to tickle people's ears. But in the last days, men are going to stack up teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. You don't have to sacrifice. You, you, God wants you rich. You're always going to be healthy. You're never going to have suffering. You're never going to have struggles. And all of these are lies. I like what one pastor said when he talked about somebody who said to him, I was watching this TV pastor and he told me that I, uh, that, that God wanted me rich, and he said, shut your TV off. <laughs> For crying out loud, shut your TV off. Don't listen to that stuff anymore. So Epaphroditus visits him. He's so sick that he almost dies, but God had mercy on him, he says. Middle of verse uh, 27. And not only on him, but on me also, that I should not have sorrow upon sorrow. He's been... Paul has been, he, he was arrested in Jerusalem, spent two years in Caesarea Philippi, is taken to Rome, where he spends another two years in chains. We assume at this point he's near the end of it because he's talking about no one being around, no one like minded. We believe that he's at the end of it. He's had, he's had sorrow, but he's had joy. This is a book about joy. Paul writes about it, but he's also has sorrow. We can have circumstances that bring us sorrow, but still have the joy of Christ in the middle of those circumstances that bring us sorrow. And God, he says, God had mercy upon me, lest I would have sorrow upon sorrow. This would be like an added sorrow on top of the sorrow that I already have, and I will not, would not be able to handle it. He says, therefore, I sent him to you more eagerly. Now we learn that he's not talking about sending Epaphroditus in the future, but he sent him. In other words, Epaphroditus brought the, the offering to Paul. Paul wrote the letter, put it in the hand of Epaphroditus and sent Epaphroditus back with the letter. And so Epaphroditus ends, ends up back in Philippi and they are rejoicing with him regularly. That when you see him again, you may rejoice. From the future when Paul writes it, but as they read it, Epaphroditus is already there. And I may have I may be less sorrowful. So even the fact that they were concerned about Epaphroditus made Paul sorrowful and that if they would skid him back again, he would know that they would not have that much sorrow. He says in verse 29, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in high esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his own life. I take it at this point that Epaphroditus pushed through, didn't feel good, got to Paul, didn't regard his own life in this, and was close to death. And he says, not regarding his own life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So that Epaphroditus Epaphroditus is used to be able to come to him and bring him that offering to provide for Paul what Paul needed. Now, this... This team work together around Paul is really important at the end of his life, but it was just as important in the beginning. And I believe that the work that God calls us to do is something that God wants us to do together. And that you have been given gifts of the Spirit or a gift of the Spirit and that we are to minister it to one another. And I look forward to the coming years, as long as the Lord tarries, that you and I can work together in the work that God has called us to do. Because every single one of us whether you've got an official title or not that are genuine Christians are doing the work of the gospel. You are shining as lights in the midst of a dark world. God has entrusted people around you who you will influence for the sake of Christ. And you may feel like you don't have anything to offer. You may feel like God made a bad choice when he chose me. But God knows exactly what he's doing. And and you're not alone. In that same sphere, each each of us has a sphere of influence that we, that we, that we influence. And some are bigger and some are smaller, but they overlap. So that there's always someone else who is influencing the same people that you are influencing. I've shared with you before that my family in Albuquerque, I, I would witness to them and not see them come to Christ. It's family member, right? They look at your family and they go, ah, you don't have anything to say. Later on, I learned that they had come to Christ and were attending Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. And I was blown away by it. God is so good. There were other people that God used in their lives where I wasn't effective in being used by them. Someone else came along and was used to be effective with them. I'm sure, hopefully, with some of the, some of the influence from how God has used me over the years. But we are working together for the sake of the gospel and we each have it. And we don't want to stand alone. We want to do it together. So, I have three things in closing number one evaluate your call in teamwork for the gospel and what I mean by this is simply evaluate right now where you are 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 you in a team are you working with other people around you this doesn't have to be structured by you or the church God can structure this on his own God can bring people together to do the work together but it's good to evaluate where you are. And if you're not part of a team, then begin to seek God that there could be other Christians around you who could encourage you, strengthen you, do all of those things. Iron sharpens iron. Do all of those things in the passages that we read about what it's supposed to be. So evaluate your call in teamwork for the gospel. Number two, make yourself available to God for teamwork. That is, say to him, Lord, I want to be used. And I want to work together. And if it's if it's here in Calvary, we would love to have you. If it's somewhere else, then it's somewhere else. God brings people where God brings people. A lot of times it's because of like mindedness. A lot of times it's because that's where He wants them. And when people come to me and say, I'm not going to come to the church anymore, sometimes I think they want me to go, why? But I don't. I, I, I usually say, Where are you going? And they tell me and I'll say, may God use you in a powerful way there. I have no, sometimes, sometimes, this might shock you, pastors are insecure. And when someone leaves, they feel like it's like a, it's like a devastating blow. And sometimes they react and respond wrongly. So just remember that when you're leaving a church and going to another, to be a little bit gentle with them. Because sometimes you might think that a pastor doesn't have insecurities. When there are a lot of insecurities, God God uses people you don't normally think He uses, and you don't realize that, and so you want to be careful with it. But oh boy, I try to encourage pastors that I know to not take it personal when someone leaves. Hey, God can take them and use them other places, and I, I also encourage pastors to never say my church, never say you know you're at my church or these people are at my church. I can't believe they left my church. When did it become your church? And maybe that's just looking at things all wrong. Maybe that's why you take it so personal because it's your church. And when someone says, I'm leaving, but if it's, if it's God's work, if God's doing it and one piece moves from here to another place where they're still being used by God, I don't care. And if there's been time here that you have grown and been strengthened and been equipped to do the work that God calls you to do and God calls you somewhere else to do it, then fantastic. Then may may the influence that God is using be used even more powerful as you make yourself available to teamwork. But may you pray, evaluate where you are in, in, in the concept of teamwork and then pray that God would use you in a team, that God would bring people around you that you would know, love, trust with proven character like Timothy and Epaphroditus who are willing to sacrifice and may God use you guys effectively. The third thing is it is in diversity and differences that gives teamwork its power and what i mean by that is if there was a time that um i we came um we were planted out of calvary albuquerque back in 1985 skip came to me i was a youth pastor there and i'd gone through a shepherd's class with him which is a, a pastoral class and um so he came to me and he said um he had wanted me to go to he had offered me to go to Santa Fe to start a church. And I didn't feel like uh, God was leading us to Santa Fe. And so he came and he said, what do you think about going to uh, Tucson? And I'd never been here. And I said, well, yeah, let me me pray about it. And he said, this was his words. This was his encouragement to me to go. They have palm trees. (laughs) And that's coming from a California boy. You understand that. A California boy who's been exiled to Albuquerque. And he looks at Tucson and says they have palm trees I grew up in Albuquerque I'm like I don't care if they have palm trees or not and uh, so so uh, we came to Tucson and we began to do the study here and for the first again you're trying to find your footing I'm really young I'm 25 years old I look 18 I probably look 12 really <laughs> I grew some horrible mustache just to try to look older but it didn't work people would still come to church and go I we love the church we love the worship and your teaching but you're too young. And now I understand it when I meet somebody who's 25. I go, "Oh yeah. <laughs> I was pretty young. Back then I would say there's a lot of churches with older pastors, you know, out there for you to go to. But um, I really tried to be like Skip. Skip's a great teacher. Skip does a lot of things where he, he, he puts in a lot of Application and different different things to make it um, to make it applicable. Different stories that really illustrate things. He's really good at what he uses a lot of really big words. Really really smart. And I thought I'm going to be just like Skip, but I made a horrible Skip Heitzig. <laughs> I make mistakes. I remember our very first Easter we did at the TCC. It might not have been our very first Easter ever, but it was the very first one we did at the TCC. And I had a whole study planned, and I wanted to say. It's like the philosopher Plato said. That's what I wanted to say. Here I am, Easter Sunday, all these visitors. It's like the philosopher uh, Pluto says. (laughs) That's what I said. And that's the response that I got, but not knowing why. I just went on, (laughs) not knowing why. I learned a lot. I, I learned later on that God uses different kind of people. And that I'm better being who I am as a teacher, wanting to handle God's word as effectively as I can instead of trying to be like someone so that I could just cover the passage the best that I can possibly cover the passage. And so God uses people like Skip and like Charles Swindoll or me or others that are around that have diversity and are different. And that happens as well. You think about in a marriage, God gives a wife to a husband For a helper. That's what Genesis says. I realize that might be offensive to some people. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just telling you what Genesis says. And if a husband thinks that he has, you know, authority in his house and he makes all the decisions, but doesn't take the gifting of his wife into, into account, it's such a huge mistake because God brings people together. And I can tell you, there are things that Kathy does so much better than me. Like spell for one thing like grammar for another thing she was actually a writer and and there are just certain things that you surrender to someone else because they're part of the team but they're better at you than what it is and again it it comes back to insecurities a lot of times we can be insecure let's try to put our insecurities aside and just say god's gifted you god's called you god has a plan and a purpose for your life and God can use you in the midst of other people. And other people may be more gifted than you. And that's all right. The Bible says that talents, which are, are giftings, that God gives some 10 talents, some five talents, and some one talents. If you're a one-talent type of a person, don't be jealous of the 10-talent type of a person. Come alongside and help them. If you're a 10-talent person, well, then I we more power to you. Good. I'm glad. I'm not. <laughs> but you are. And that's good. So, It's the diversity and the differences as we work together. Sometimes you might think, I'm not like the, the, you know, I'm like-minded, but I'm different than the people. It's okay, it's good. Let's let's use those gifts and callings that God has given us because it's going to make us much more efficient and effective. You've got a body. A hand is not like a foot, right? And we're told that just because you're a foot doesn't mean you're not part of the body. Well, feet do one thing and hands do another thing. And we need feet and we need hands. All of us do. And the body of Christ needs feet, and needs hands to be able to do the work that God's called us to do. May God put us together in a team, in the teams that he wants to put us together to. May we truly care for one another, and may God efficiently and effectively use us to reach people for the sake of Jesus Christ. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much as we take time to consider uh, team building your way, that you put people around us, that we are not alone but you want us to be able to do the work that you've called us to do with the people that you put around us. And I want to thank you, Lord, for those that you have placed here around us as, uh, as we do the work you've called us to do. We are yours. We pray you would fill us with the Spirit. We pray that we would work together well, that we would have that proven character and that many would come to know you. Many would get serious about following you. Many would, would, would begin to be used by you who are not being used by you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.